eerily haunting true stories about remote abandoned locations rich in history. Come with us now travels from state to state if you dare. <laughs> Hello? Gina, there is a beehive over there. Do you see that in the hole? Buckle up, Buttercup. Welcome to 50 States of Madness. Welcome to 50 States of Madness. Ooh, that was loud. Was it loud in your ear? Yeah, because I was like talking like maybe need to lower myself a little bit i don't know okay, okay. do you want to start that over no we're good we're good it just hurt my ears because oh. i was i think i had the microphone just a little too uh close too loud on you oh. well i'm shannon hi i'm gina and we're 50 states <laughs> of madness <laughs> and this is the madness you just threw me off with that that's why oh. i was like oh are we gonna start over she's like no let's just keep going <laughs> i'm going Sorry. deaf in one ear but it's okay no you it's just because you had your oh no i put on these <laughs> when we were starting and I, di- I didn't see that i did this wait how is it and i thought it, <laughs> i couldn't hear out one side of my <laughs> thing so <laughs> i am not the sharpest tool in the shed right now i think since um i was telling somebody since i got over covid i feel like i like you know how they talk the about brain the brain fog, fog yeah yes and um I'll be making drinks at Starbucks and it'll, I like, I'll read it. I'm like, Oh, it needs like, you know, four pumps of sugar and some vanilla sweet cream foam. And then I'll just turn over and I'll hand them the cup of coffee with nothing, none of that stuff in it. And like the people would look at like, Oh, I wanted sweet cream on this. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, (laughs) and I see it and I read it, but it just doesn't register. No, it's just not processing. And so I'm kind of coming out of that fog. So forgive me. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. And then I'm trying to drink less caffeine. And so it's just. You'll get there. A whole lot of things going on. With I've got her right to, I've got her to start drinking water. So yes, that's I, a plus. I my little Yeti and yeah. filling it up with water. We're getting this, there. I'm on my third one today of my Yeti. That's good. And then I drank four. Is it three or no? Three of the Trenta cups at Starbucks. And so I had to Google like how many fluid ounces. So I drank 72 fluid ounces that day. So that's really good for me. Yeah. That's very good. Considering, you know, going from 12 to 70, no, not 12, but you know, probably. I was going to say probably less than 12, (laughs) like two, two sips. Plea the fifth on that one. Yeah. So, yeah. So she's, she's working on it. I am. I'm trying to be better. Yes. Trying, trying to be healthier. Um, our merch store is live and up and ready to go they are so cute yes so yeah definitely you have to check that out and we will have sweatshirts soon and beanies and everything that people are requesting yeah we have the t-shirts right now we have just the t-shirts um in three different designs right yeah three different designs so you will that'll be linked everywhere so it's it's actually in our bio of our instagram and then we can start linking it like in the show notes on YouTube and yeah, stuff absolutely. Like that. Yeah. So because for right now, you cannot get to our merch store from our website. No, not so, yet. So yeah, that will be fixed. But as of right now, that, uh, follow the links. Yeah. That does the links not, will lead you there. Yeah. That doesn't work. So 
Yeah. Um, so today we are talking about a case that was requested by, again, I should have looked and I'm so sorry. And I probably wouldn't have remembered anyway because I'm terrible with names. I'm lucky I remember my own damn name. Um, but this was requested by um, a listener on YouTube. And it is the case of the Springfield Three. That's what it's called. That's what the case was called. Um, and it is a case of um, two younger girls and a mother. I don't even want to say two younger girls and an older lady because she was she was still young. She's 47. <laughs> She's younger, younger than, than me. me. I know. So younger like, than me. Yeah. Um, so three young ladies. Three young ladies uh, that went missing. And um, it's a pretty involved case. And it's funny because they go up and missing and just like. They vanish. Vanish. like Literally vanish. Um, it's crazy. And it's like 30 years ago. Yeah. And it's. Um, no trace. Yeah. No clue what happened. Nothing. The, Just the, theories. So the, to put it into perspective, these girls, the two younger girls that went missing, I believe are right about my age because they graduated. In 1992. And that's when I graduated. Oh, yeah. They are exactly your age. So, um, yeah, I think they were like six months older than me or something like that. So That's insane. Yeah. So... They went missing when they were like 16 or 17 years old. And now, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. They would be in their late 40s now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yep. I think they were 17, 18 years, 17 mm-hmm. years old. Yeah. 17 or 18. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So, um, yeah. So it's, um, it's a, it's a pretty involved story. There's a lot of people involved there. Um, I actually wrote it down because, um, I haven't, uh, there, there was a book written um, about it, and it's called uh, "Gone in the Night: The Springfield Three. And when I'm done with my book club, <laughs> if I ever get done, um, I definitely want to read that. And then there's a podcast called "The Ozarks." Yes, and we did listen to that. Very good. Check them out. Um, yeah, and there's actually like a a short film called "The Springfield Three. Yeah, uh, I didn't watch that though on it so uh there's a lot of stuff out there it's a lot of information it's a huge mystery yeah and it's crazy. uh it's just like you said it's just these women just are gone they yeah. were literally here and they've narrowed it down to just like a few hours um of where it had to have happened yeah the time frame and it's just yeah, it's it's crazy how they're just yeah. up and vanished, gone. Well, we'll give you um, more information on that, right? Now. Yeah, so it's a little bit going to be probably a little longer episode than normal because um, it's a lot of detail. Yeah, we tried we tried to get as much detail in as possible, but not make it, you know, She's where so it was. She said we. <laughs> oh, she well. said we tried. Um, I I listened to the podcast and I watched some documentaries and stuff on it, but. <laughs> Gina actually did the painstaking, what is it? The painstakingly hard job. I don't even know if that's a word. She did the task of writing it out. And that is a lot of work. So where's our clap? I don't Thank know. Thank you, Gina. I can't, I can't reach that far. She's so cute. She said we. Well, because you write some of them. I write it's, some of yeah, them. So true, it's, you know. This one, this one. 
I haven't gotten started on one that I want to do because it's so detailed and, and it's just, I just commend you on just getting you know, it started. No, when I started this one, I knew that it was going to be, after listening to like the first episode of the podcast, I was like, yeah. oh, this is going to be a doozy. Yeah. But I it really is. wanted to push through it just because I started to get really invested in it. I want to solve it. And, um, and when it's, sure there's people out there like me and too, when but. it's, uh, requested by somebody I really want to yeah get to those too so I don't like mysteries that aren't solved like you know yeah I just those are a little I don't like it just those are a little harder to yeah because yeah there's no there's there's no no closure yeah yeah I agree I agree well we're gonna get started on the Springfield three in February 1992 Cheryl Livett and her daughter Susie Streeter moved in a home at 1717 East Delmar Street in Springfield, Missouri. Cheryl was just newly divorced and the two were downsizing into a smaller home. Cheryl was a single mom and took pride in teaching and showing her daughter good work ethic. Susie and Cheryl were very close and Susie looked up to her mother, wanting to be just like her. Susie was a senior at Kickapoo High School and worked part-time at the local movie theater. After high school, she wanted to go to cosmetology school and become a hairdresser like her mother. Her mom owned a hair a salon, salon, yeah, I believe so, in Springfield, Missouri. So, in May, Susie and her friend Stacy McCall, a friend since childhood and who was also a senior, started to attend all of the graduation activities at the high school. They also began to realize that after high school, their group of friends would go their different ways. Some of them would be attending college, and some wouldn't. Janelle Kirby, a friend of both of the girls, said that the three of them had made plans for the upcoming summer. They were planning to go to the water park, pools, shopping, and getting ready for college. In the fall, Janelle and Stacy were going to attend Missouri State. You know, you graduate, you're so excited, all these plans ahead of you. Yeah. And so, yeah, and so that's sad. like, that's like the time of year that we're at right now, too. Graduation. Yeah. All the graduations are yeah. happening right now. So they she, they were going to be attending Missouri State University together while Susie planned to attend cosmetology school. Oh, my heart. Yeah. I went to cosmetology school. So did I. Oh, did you? Yeah. Really? Uh-huh. I was. Okay. Everybody, this, I, this is news to me. Yeah. Like, I have known Gina. <laughs> For how old are our kids? Yeah. Twenty three um, years. I I went when I was fifteen or sixteen years old. Really? Mm-hmm. Maybe you did kind of mention that too. I me just went passing. for nails. Yeah. I think you did. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. Well, on June sixth, I just I feel like I learned something new about you every time we do one of these. <laughs> I keep little hidden gems no, sometimes, you, you know, so I could just, just throw them out at you. Keep the magic alive. Yeah. On June 6th, the girls graduated from Kickapoo High School. That night, the school had planned the all-night alcohol-free party called Project Graduation. It was a party that required you to sign an agreement that you want to bring in any alcohol, and once you were in, you couldn't leave until the next morning. The girls decided not to attend the school party and made plans of their own. After graduation, the three girls went out to dinner separately with their families and then later met up at Janelle's house to go to a party at her neighbor's house. After all of the graduation stuff, we went out to eat. And then Stacy went home with us 
and she immediately started changing clothes. And I said, wait, you can't change clothes yet. We've got pictures. After the party, they were going to drive 30 minutes from Springfield to Branson because that's where they would get a motel in Branson. And the next day they would go to a water park that was called Whitewater. Mm -hmm. So it was Whitewater Water Park near the motel. Stacy's mom wasn't too happy about the girl's plans. You know, because driving that late well, at night after a party, 30 to minutes. To me, just saying you're going to get a motel anywhere and you're yeah. 17 years 17, old or 18 years, years old. Like, I don't know. That just doesn't. That's scary. Th- Even yeah. if it's only 30 minutes away it for a water matter. park, that would make me a little yeah. nervous too. Yeah. I, you say the word motel, I'm nervous. Yeah. It, like even when we travel across the states. Of and course. We're, like, we're going to stay in a motel. Like, hmm. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> but not. we did. But we, yeah. Well, we, we did. <laughs> but. Yeah, it just, I don't know. But young girls like that, it just makes me really nervous. Yep. So I can see why Stacy's mom wasn't happy. But she was relieved because they decided to change their plans and not stay at the motel. And they decided just to go back to Janelle's house and spend the night there. Because they were they stayed at the party a lot later than they had intended to. Right. After the girls got to Janelle's house, they realized that there really wasn't any room for them to stay there. Janelle's family from Kansas had all come up for the graduation and we're all staying there at the house. Susie and Stacy once again decided to change their plans. They were going to go to Susie's house and spend the night there, and then in the morning call Janelle to meet up with them at the water park. The two girls left Janelle's house in separate cars. The next morning, June 7th, around 9 a.m., Janelle woke up and hadn't heard from the two girls. She called Susie's house and got no answer. She called several times and still nobody answered the phone. Janelle then decided that her and her boyfriend were going to go over to Susie's house and see if the girls were there. When they pulled up to the house, it appeared that everyone was there. All three cars were there. The two girls' cars were parked in the driveway and Cheryl's car was parked in the carport. When Janelle and her boyfriend walked up to the front door, they noticed that the globe on the front porch light was shattered and was all over the porch. They knocked on the door and nobody answered, so They think that maybe they were still sleeping, right? Because they were knocking on there. Yeah. So at the time, and I just think this is funny because I don't know who would do this, but at the time, the boyfriend grabs a broom and then starts sweeping up the shattered glass. That got me because I'm like, what would I I mean? If I I think like if I were to go to your house looking for you. Yeah. And I'm not answering. And you're not answering. It wouldn't be in my mind like, oh, my God, something happened to her. Yeah. But I probably wouldn't grab a broom. Maybe that's just me being a lazy ass, but I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm going to clean her porch up. Yeah. I will. Me, if I had maybe I think differently, but if you're not answering the phone and I was supposed to meet up with you because you're so on time. And so <clears throat> if I would come up to the house and I to try to find you and I saw broken glass on the porch, yeah. I'd be like. Oh goodness! I'm not going in. I'm going to call the cops right now. Yeah, like well, and I would have thought that their, the door was unlocked and they could just walk in. They can just, but maybe you know we're talking 1992. And I don't want to say it was like no, but it wasn't like the 80s or the no, 70s. But, but still, still, times were different. Yeah, for it sure. was a little bit different. And so some people, yeah, I just don't open. know if that would be the first thing on my mind. I had a lot of questions. Is like, yeah. to like sweep. But where was the broom? Did he have to go inside the house to get it? Was it on the side of the porch? I'm like really curious because I never really mentioned anything that I watched I or think heard where the I could broom be was. wrong, but I think in the podcast they say that there was a broom right there. Oh, there was a broom. A broom outside. outside. Okay. But still, like, I, I don't, 
I mean, I guess it depends because if you're talking about it being like on the porch, right? If it's going to like interfere with me walking into your house and I don't want to like track glass in and there's a broom right there. Yeah, I probably might grab it. I was going to say if the broom's there where you can see it, maybe I would Then maybe I would. But I I wouldn't have went looking for a broom. No. Okay. So maybe we're just going to say that the broom was right there. And and their driveway is like a... It's It's like a horseshoe driveway where you, you know, in and out. And then in the back part was the the carport where the mom's car was parked. And then the two uh, girls were parked in the actual roundabout. Yeah. Yeah. And that comes into play and it becomes very, very important how the cars were found. Were found because I guess that's a little out of the norm. Because normally Susie would park next to her mom in the carport unless there was another car parked there. Yeah. Or she was going to block her somehow. She would never, you know, block her mom in. So the only time she would park in the driveway is not to block the mom in because there's another car there. Yeah. So her being in the horseshoe was not. Not normal. Not normal. And they do bring that up. Yeah. You know, some other car had to have been parked there in the carport for. Susie not to park next to her mom. Right. It just makes so. you realize like how good those wing, those ring cameras really come in. Yes. Cause yeah. now you capture a lot. I mean, if their neighbor across the street or next door had a ring camera, it'd be solved. Yes. So, um, he picks up the broom and he starts cleaning up the shattered glass and this is the boyfriend of Janelle, just in case we went on a tangent and you yeah. lost track. But we yeah. have Janelle and her boyfriend. They went to the house. The boyfriend grabbed, they see the shattered, um, it's like those bulbs on the front porch. It fell, it broke, it shattered. He's cleaning it up. And then he decided, well, they both decided to go into the house. They opened the front door and started to yell the girl's names, but there was no answer. They started to walk around the house. At first glance, everything looks normal. Both Susie and Cheryl's bed had been slept in, and in the bathroom they found some of the girls' jewelry. They also found used washcloths where the girls had taken off their makeup the night before. It was obvious to them that the girls had made it back to Susie's house the night prior. I know they were saying like how their clothes were neatly folded, yeah. you know, um, everything was there. It was, yeah, it, it literally... It didn't look disturbed. No. Yeah. So... Like I was saying, it was obvious to them that the girls had made it back to Susie's house the night prior. As time went on, Janelle started to feel like something wasn't right. Susie's dog was running around the house acting very anxious and had been left unattended, which wasn't normal. Yeah, they said that, I guess the dog, I think, I can't remember. I think the dog's name was Cinnamon. Oh. Um, but the dog was, um, she said that the dog kept wanting her to, like she wanted to be held. She was like running around like something was wrong, you know, like and that wasn't they just want to talk. Yeah. And they were she was just acting very anxious. And um, and for the dog to be left unattended was not a normal yeah. thing for them. And I think where the dog was yeah. was not its usual place where right. he was found. Yeah. So, however, the most telling clue that something was wrong was that Cheryl's lighter and cigarettes were left on the table. She was a chain smoker. She yeah. like liked her cigarettes. So for her to leave the house without her cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Susie's brother stated that his mom, Cheryl, was a chain smoker and would even carry her cigarettes from room to room with her. She never would have left the house without them. I mean, if she got out of bed and went into the living room to say something, she brought she a cigarette. Her boyfriend are very confused and decided to leave, thinking that maybe the girls went to the water park without them. 
At first, they thought they went out to breakfast, maybe. And then since they waited a little later, you know, they would be back. And then now the water park. Yeah. As the two of them were walking out of the house, the phone rang. Janelle answered it. The male on the other line didn't identify himself, but was making sexual comments. And Janelle quickly hung up. The phone rang again immediately, and it was the same person. Janelle and her boyfriend thought this was a prank and didn't think it had anything to do with the girls. So Stacy never told her mom, Janice, that they had changed plans to stay the night back at Susie's house. So Janice didn't have Susie's new phone number since they had just moved into that house a few months prior. So Janice kept calling, had eventually called Janelle's house to find out like, hey, they didn't. Where are they? Yeah, Yeah. where are they? She called Janelle's house because, you know, she hadn't heard from her. She thought she was going to hear from her. She hadn't heard from her. And so she's trying to track her down. So, of course, she's going to call Janelle's house because that's the last place she thought she was. And that's when they told her, no, they didn't say the night here. here. Yeah. So they went back. They had gone back to Susie's house. So Janice finally around 5 p.m. on June 7th, Janice tracks down Susie's new phone number and calls but gets no answer. Stacy, this is your mom calling. Please call me at home. Bye. So she decides to go to the house. By this time, nobody had heard from the girls in over 15 hours. When Janice got to the house, she knocked and there was no answer. So she decided to go inside. It's funny during this time how everybody just decides to go inside. Just walk the house. in. Yeah. Just going. I don't know the house. if I would do that. Yeah. I don't know. Especially if- at this point at, at the 15 hour mark, something's clearly wrong. Yeah. Something's just- happening. And I don't, yeah. I, I, it's, it's so hard. I, I put myself in like these positions sometimes yeah. where I'm like, what would I do? And I'm like, I feel like you don't know what you do until you're there. Yeah. And what, what you, how you respond. Yeah. And back then too, though, there wasn't all these true crime. Wasn't a thing. Like it wasn't huge. Like it is now right. where you're hearing about all these things. So you're learning all the things to do and not to do. And yeah. I always thought about that, about like, you know, 48 hours and stuff. It's like, they're basically letting criminals or criminals to be or murders to be no like giving them like what to guidelines do. on yeah. how to get away with it yeah like you, they're you getting, just wrote a how-to book yeah they're getting better and better <laughs> yeah. at this yeah because this is what you're supposed yeah. to do like uh yeah like, yeah now exactly. we just told them make sure the cameras are all off <laughs> all right <laughs> so once inside she says she felt like she shouldn't be walking into the house and announce but she needed answers she said there were a few things that stuck out to her in the house. She spotted her daughter's clothes that she had been wearing the day before folded neatly in the corner, but her shirt and underwear were missing. The TV was left on, but it was all fuzzy. It used to do that. Yeah. <laughs> My sound effects. Like the white noise. Yeah, the white noise. Susie, Stacy, and Cheryl's, uh, Cheryl's, sorry. Susie, Stacy, and Cheryl's purses were all lined up next to each other on the floor. Janice then decided to call the police and report them missing. We had no idea there was a crime scene there. You don't know that. You don't expect it. You're looking for your daughter and trying to find out what happened. And Janice McCall recalls going to Lovett's home 25 years ago, finding the purses of all three women. There was no sign of a struggle, only a broken glass bulb over the front porch light. Police believe the three women went missing sometime between 2.30 a.m. and 8 a.m. I remember when the police department came up and two officers came in and I explained what was going on and I walked them through the house and explained what was going on there. So the officers said, well, we're going to go outside and discuss this and look around a little bit. When they came back in, they said, 
we're going to file this as a missing persons case, foul play suspected. The police filed a missing persons report. The police officer asked Janice to come to the station the following morning. When she met with the officers, they asked her if she'd be able to get dental records for the girls. That would scare me. That would be like, what did you find already? Yeah, I think that's kind of when she realized like, okay, this is like taking a turn now. Like the magnitude of yeah, because I mean, that's just kind of what you use to identify a dead body. But, yeah, you know? I'm like, I would be like, what did you find? Why do you need her dental yeah. records? But I guess for to file the missing persons report, yeah. you, you know, to have it there. She immediately got the pictures she took at the graduation, developed and made missing persons posters. Imagine the day before you have a graduation party for your child. Yep. Um, And those are the photos you're using. Yeah. To, to make a missing person go around and make a missing persons report. And I know that the mom, one of the mothers wanted to cut the graduation cake and they're like, no, no, no tomorrow. And that graduation cake was never cut. Never cut. It just breaks my heart. Yeah. It's sad because you just, it, it's just the thought, like you always think there's going to be a tomorrow. Yeah. And you never think like things like this are going to happen to somebody so young, you know, yeah. to just girls that are so young and it's like in the blink of an eye. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have tomorrow. So with the help of the community, they distributed the flyers statewide. It was then that they were called the Springfield three. The police had started to develop a timeline and narrowed it down to sometime between 2 a.m. and 8 a.m. is when something happened to the girls. Unfortunately, when Janelle and her boyfriend and Stacy's mom, Janice went into the house, some of the items were contaminated from them moving things around when they thought they were doing good, you know, yeah. trying to look for them, you know, they're contaminating. And I, I think crime too, scene. like only because I am so into true crime that that would come to my head. Like, okay, don't touch anything. Don't, touch. don't move anything. I automatically go to like the John Benet Ramsey case. Like yeah. there's so many crime scenes that have just been destroyed by so many people in and out, you know, but if you don't think about that and you're just in a panic and you're looking for somebody like, you don't realize like, Oh my God, I just swept away this glass. I just walked on the carpet and my fingerprints are now everywhere. Yeah. You don't think about that stuff. It's so sad. So when Janice was there, she played back a message on the answering machine that was unfortunately deleted. When Janice was asked what the message said, she said she didn't remember. All she remembered was that it was a man. So the police don't believe that it was tied to the calls that came through when Janelle and her boyfriend were there. Oh, they don't believe that it was even the no. same man. No. Okay. So it could have been somebody trying to I'm get sure they probably could Cheryl, have. Like, maybe? Cheryl? I keep saying Cheryl. Why do I keep saying Cheryl? Because it's spelled Cheryl. very weird. Her name she is. is spelled S-H-E-R-R-I-L-L. Yeah. Someone, and it's Cheryl. Yeah. So very quickly, police started receiving hundreds of tips, but unfortunately, the leads went nowhere. The police decided that they needed to dig deeper on each individual female to see if there was something in their background that would lead to this. They started with Cheryl's son and Susie's older brother, Bart Streeter. Bart was nine years older than Susie. So that would place him what, about 26, 20, yeah, about 26 years old. Yeah. The police learned that Bart and Cheryl didn't have a good relationship. When Bart was 17, Cheryl gave him an ultimatum, telling him that if he lived under her roof, he needed to follow her rules, which I think is a typical saying. 
Yeah, know, I mean, time. yeah, you follow my rules or, or you, you don't. don't. Yeah. yeah, that's it. He decided he didn't want to follow her rules, so he moved out. For the following years, their relationship just continued to go downhill. According to Bart, his mother always had issues in relationships with men who drank too much. Unfortunately, Bart fell into the same category. Cheryl wanted him to stop drinking, and Bart didn't want to. Towards the end of 1991, after living on his own for 10 years, Bart returned to Springfield after going through a breakup with his girlfriend. Bart and Susie decided to get an apartment together to try and reconnect and make up for the years that he was gone. Bart continued to drink, and after a fight that turned physical between his brother, between brother and sister, Susie made the decision to move back in with her mom. At this time, Susie and her mom, Cheryl, decided it was best to cut Bart out of their lives for good. Only three months later, his mom and sister would be missing. He received an email from the police department asking if he had seen or heard from either one of them. After looking into his background, he became a suspect. Bart was asked to come to the station to be questioned. He was very cooperative and answered all of their questions. Police said after questioning him that Bart showed an interest in the case and in finding out what happened to his mom and sister. He took a polygraph test and passed, and he also had an alibi for the night the girls went missing. I saw an interview with the brother. Yes. And it's like, I know that he's had like a really bad, you know, he didn't have a good childhood. It doesn't sound like, and he, you know, got into drinking and drugs and whatever, but it w- it made me so sad to like see how he really, he really wants this solved. Like, how affected he is by it so 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 much like all these years later you know it's it's so sad yeah i did see that too and in when this happens to be viewed at as a suspect at first so you want to grieve and And he was very cooperative you know he did everything but just to have that in the back of your head because i would be nervous because you hear about all these you know times when people who didn't commit the crime are being accused and they're following them yeah. for years. And it's just, yeah. Yeah. To be put in that it's position. It's so hard. It's, it's stressful. It's, it really sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it really, I can't imagine. So the police then started to look into people that Susie hung around with. Some of the people were questionable, but the police were focused on Susie's ex-boyfriend, Dustin Reckla. Susie had broken up with Dustin just a few months prior to her disappearance. Susie broke up with him after he and his friend had been arrested for vandalism at a local cemetery. This blew my mind. Grave digging or something? Blew my mind. Justin Reckla was a former acquaintance of Susie Streeter. She was about to testify against him on charges he broke into a mausoleum to steal gold from the deceased. Police were very interested in Reckla and two accomplices, but their hope quickly... The two boys had broken into a mausoleum in Springfield and stolen gold fillings from skulls and left the skulls in the trees at the cemetery. That is... Like, I... Horrible. Like, I mean... Like it's, it's not even one thing. I like, I was going to say it's one thing to go in and break it, you know, but it's like, just don't do it. But to take, I just, I just, I could, I when I even, saw that, yeah. I was like, oh, there's wow. No, that's, I mean, something's wrong with them. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's definitely yeah. a deal breaker. And you're not my boyfriend yeah, anymore. Thank you. Like, sorry, we're calling it quits. <laughs> so, and that's a lot for Gina to say. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, I like reading about this stuff, but yeah. 
I, I have my limits, people. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> I draw the line. Somewhere. Yes. So police discovered that Susie had given a statement regarding the incident that would be used against the boys at their trial that was coming up that September. So I think that they thought maybe, you know, he was a suspect because she had said something like she knew that he did it, obviously. So, and that maybe the re like they needed it, to and stop the other, her from testifying. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So, uh, detectives then called Dustin, um, and his friend into the station to question them about the girl's disappearance and if it had any ties to Susie's statement against them. Dustin's friend, Michael Clay, makes a statement saying, I wish those bitches were dead. So Michael Clay would later go on to say that he made that comment because he had a disagreement with one of the investigators that was interviewing him. What does that have to do with the high price of tomatoes? Yeah. And, and to say that nothing to do with that when somebody's missing, like it's just, that's like me having an argument with you and then going somewhere else. And it, it doesn't even make any sense. Well, and I'm thinking, um, and not that I, to be honest with you, I don't even like looking at all of it. It's just like, they're down my list of suspects, but just by them, the things they do, yeah, like it's just, they just have no filter, no class. No, I can't Nothing. even describe the type no. of person. So mm-hmm. it doesn't surprise me that it comes out of his mouth yeah. because already we know these kids, something's wrong with them. Yeah. Like, they're troubled for they're sure. Troubled. Yeah. They're troubled youth and- yeah. I just thought that that was so weird that that's going to be the reason that you say, I wish those bitches were dead is because you were arguing with an investigator. investigator. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. That has nothing to do with anything. So both Dustin and Michael deny having anything to do with the disappearance of the girls. Of course they do. Uh, the boys both had similar alibis for the nights the girls went for the night that the girls went missing. They said they were at a concert and then went to an after party. Investigators were not able to confirm or deny that the boys were there or not. Both boys have been cooperative throughout the investigation, but cannot be ruled out completely. In early July 1992, it had been about four weeks that the girls were missing. A woman reported that on June 6th, the day the girls disappeared between 6.30 and 7 in the morning, she was sitting on her porch when a van pulled into her driveway to turn around. She said that the girl driving the van was Susie Streeter. The woman's house is about a mile away from the, from the house that the girls disappeared from. She said it looked like Susie had been crying and she heard a man's voice say from inside the van, Don't do anything stupid. Just turn around, back out, and get us out of here. The woman said that she hadn't come forward sooner because she hadn't seen the missing persons poster. So, But still, if you see a girl crying, distressed in a car, and a man's voice saying, like, don't do anything stupid, I don't know. I think I probably would have reported it regardless. Yeah, I... Again, it's one of those situations of like, would I? Would I not? Um, or I would have at least, because I know we did this, like, look at the van and try to, like, maybe, yeah. get, you know, just in case anything Something, comes up. Yeah. You know, because we did that when we were driving across states. Like, yes. I saw a car on the side of the road. We're like, we're okay, like, what okay. kind? What's the license plate like, number? It's an abandoned car. car. Yeah. So yeah. Just kind of. Yeah, because you're just driving out there in the middle of nowhere and you just see a car or a truck or a van just parked on the side of the road. Like, how long has it been there? Like, yeah. why, why is Just it there? Just in case something comes up, yeah. you know, I have the information uh, yeah. for you. So. Exactly. 
So um, the woman is able to describe the van that they were in in great detail. She said that the van was a 1964 to 1970 Dodge panel van. She said that it was silver to green in color, calling it a celery color. That's what the color the van was. Uh, Police decided, I thought this was a little weird, but the police decided to buy a van, paint it green, and park it outside the police station with a number for people to call if they've seen one resembling this. I'd be calling saying, yeah, I see the van. It's out in front of the police station. (laughs) Yeah, so as like a lot of, there's a lot of different reports about this van, but it went from like silver to green to gray to brown to like all different colors. And so I'm not sure anybody really knew what color this van was, but I don't know. I guess I just couldn't, I couldn't see a police station behind like a van that girls went missing in and parking it out there with like a sign on the front. I don't know. And numerous people reported seeing a similar van that was brown in color. Police searched hundreds of vans, but none that were linked to the missing girls. Then the police got a tip from Florida about a man named Robert Cox. He had a very lengthy criminal history. The caller believes that Cox is linked to the missing girls. I wonder how he connected it. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you, and it, it it's, you got to really pay attention because okay. it, it kind of, it gets a little confusing right here because when I was listening to the podcast, it's so much information and then reading and then like, yeah, it was, it was a lot. Okay. So, so this guy, he's the brother of a girl named Sharon Zellers. So this Sharon Zellers, her brother is calling to report it. Yeah. To say that he thinks that Robert Cox is the person that did this, that he's, yes. So Sharon Zellers in 1978 was 19 years old and she was the victim of a gruesome crime. Sharon was abducted and murdered after leaving work late one night. At the time of Sharon's murder, Cox had just graduated basic training as an army ranger. To celebrate, he took a, a trip to Florida with his family. Late one night, his mother had to rush him to the hospital after he returned to their motel room and he was covered in blood. He received injuries where he had the corner of his tongue bitten off. He told investigators that he had done it himself. However, the nurse that worked on him at the hospital said that there was no way that he did it because it was bitten in the opposite direction. So it was obviously coming from the opposite direction. So eventually uh, Sharon Zeller's body was found just a few feet from Robert Cox's motel room in a nearby sewage facility. So right where him and his mom were staying, her body was found right outside of that. So police question Cox, but because DNA in the seventies wasn't very advanced, they had no evidence to hold him on. So they released him. He then traveled to California with the army and he was convicted of abducting and assaulting two women in two separate incidents. In 1985, he was taken in police into police custody. While he was in California, they indicted him on Sharon Zeller's murder, and he was extradited to Florida, where he had a jury trial. He was found. So they brought him back to mm-hmm. Florida yes. for her murder. For her murder, yes. Good. He was found guilty and placed on death row. Later, his sentence was overturned by the Florida Supreme Court for lack of evidence. 
Since then, many of the jurors have been interviewed and they all believe that he is responsible for this murder. Cox was then extradited back to California to finish serving his time for the two abductions. So in 1992, Robert Cox is paroled and he moves back to his hometown where his parents still live. And that is in Springfield, Missouri. So because of the lack of technology, it's hard for police to keep track of criminals in their area. Therefore, Sharon Zeller's family keeps track themselves of Robert Cox's location. So they knew he went back to Springfield. So as soon as they heard about the three girls, they made the, the connection and said, yes, this man's responsible. Yes. So when they find out that Cox was living in Springfield at the time that the three girls went missing, they reported to the Springfield Police Department. They start to investigate Cox and find out that he's a utility worker. With Cox being in that line of work, it would make it very easy for him to get into someone's house. And to have a van. Yeah. I mean, he could easily go up and knock on their door at any hour of the day or night. We have a electrical issue. Anything. Your gas is out. Your whatever, you know, Um, and he's got the uniform, the van, the, you know, I mean, it would make it very easy. So after investigating more, they realized that Cox was a mechanic at the same time at a used car lot that Stacy's father was a salesman at. So there's, so there's another connection. So at first they thought that maybe Cox had seen, seen Stacy visiting her father at work and sought her out. But that theory quickly was shut down due to the fact that the girls made a last minute decision to spend the night at Susie's house. So he technically, I mean, unless he was like literally following them, probably he's not going to know their plans. You know, Um, when questioned, Robert Cox said that on June 6th, he attended a golf tournament and that he went to his parents house where he slept that night. And then on Sunday morning, got up and went to church with his girlfriend and her child. The police questioned his girlfriend and she confirmed that he was at church Sunday morning with her. Even though Cox has an alibi, the police still don't rule him out as a a suspect in this case. He's got a lot going on. (laughs) Uh, Three years later, in March of 1995, Robert Cox, who has since moved to Texas now, was arrested for aggravated robbery. So he's just on a tear. And of course he moved to Texas. Of course he did. I know. (laughs) So when the Springfield Police Department hear of his arrest, they decide to take another look at the alibi that he had for the days that the, the, the day that the girls went missing. So they decide to re-interview his girlfriend at that time. And now her story has changed from the original interview. She recanted her original interview saying that she told the police that he was at church with her and her child that morning. However, he wasn't. Why and but why would she do that? Why would she cover up for him like that? Who knows? Maybe he was threatening her. Look at yeah, this maybe, guy. Who knows? I guess, but I'm gonna like, held a gun to her head or someone to kill your kid or who knows? Okay, okay. Because I'm like, I'd want him. I yeah, want to cover up for somebody who might. Yeah, have who? Know? I mean, done that. Yeah, you don't know. I mean, clearly this guy's not in his right mind. Yeah, the stuff that he's doing that we know that he's done. Cox apparently told his girlfriend at that time that if the police questioned her to say that he was with her at church. Now without an alibi, he becomes a suspect and the Springfield police travel to Texas where he's serving a life sentence and they they go there to interview him. So the Springfield, uh, the police made three separate trips to Texas to talk to Cox 
and each time he denied having anything to do with the missing women. Cox was known to play games um, with the detectives and they feel like he he likes the attention that he's getting. He's he's in there for on, on a life serving a life sentence like he's what does he have to lose at this yeah. point? Nothing like, you know, he can just, you know, fuck yeah. around, and do whatever he wants to and say whatever he wants to basically. So he tells Cox tells the police enough about the case to intrigue them, but not to incriminate himself. So he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Um, about a year later, Cox gives an interview to a Springfield TV reporter about the missing women. Cox says, I know that the women are dead. He said he believed that the person who killed them had experience, had experience and knew what they were doing. He also says he's, Pumping himself up. Of course, that he believes that the women are all buried close to Springfield. So police aren't sure what to make of it. They notice that he's enjoying coming and talking to to the to the police um, about the case. And he's enjoying being a a year later, still incarcerated in Texas. Cox gives an interview about the three missing women to a Springfield TV reporter. I know that they're dead. I'll say that. I know that. That's not a theory. Yeah, but I know that they're just, I just know that they're dead. I believe that a person who did this had experience, knew what they were doing. I believe that the three missing women are buried close to Springfield. In the year 2000, a woman by the name of Kathy Byard, who was a crime reporter for the Ozark Sentinel, becomes very fascinated by this case and she moves to Springfield. She's convinced that the case can be solved. Kathy started to reach out to people in the community and started taking tips and working her own case. She starts to get tips and information about the women being murdered and the whereabouts of the bodies. Police have heard a lot of rumors about possible locations where the women's bodies have been buried. However, most of these tips have come from psychics that they have had dreams or visions of where the women's remains are at. So the police haven't taken it all too serious. What connects you to the story of the Springfield Three? I was here when they went missing. I was like, just let's give it a shot. You know, let's see if we can help bring justice for three women that nobody knows what happened to. And if no one's familiar with the Ozarks, it is a very wooded area. It's got a l- lot of places where you can hide a body. Yeah, it's kind of like it's very the killing fields, mountain, like Texas. Yeah, this one's like got a lot of mount. It's like a lot of trees, a lot of mountains. It's a beautiful area. Yeah, but it's very, very woody and crowded, like with yeah. trees and stuff. So there's a lot of places you can hide. Yeah, I mean, a body. It wouldn't be that difficult. It, that's scary. That's yeah. I mean, and well, to, to me, have the to, killing fields in Texas, it's like open. Where do you like, look? Yeah, it, but it's it's open, and they still were able to hide bodies right there in fields. Yeah, it's yeah. Crazy, well, well I guess they had trees at the time. All yeah, but there still, it's kind stuff. of a lot of it's like in plain sight. Yeah, like or it's like it's not. It's in neighborhoods, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. So, so this Kathy, uh, this girl Kathy she she said that one location that has been brought up too many times to be a coincidence was a location in the parking garage at Cox Hospital there's no correlation between 
Robert Cox and Cox hospital. hospital. Yeah. it just so happens that that's his last name. It's not his hospital. <laughs> <laughs> so in 2007, Kathy asks a mechanical engineer named Rick Norland, who is an expert in ground penetrating radar to come to the, to, uh, this, to come to Springfield. Ground penetrating radar produces underground images. So you're able to see what's hidden below the surface. The picture that you get is not a clear picture, but it's black and white. And most of the time it's a bunch of squiggly lines that you have to try to figure out what is on, what it is on your own. That right there to me is like, it's too hard to, uh, you can, well, I don't, I don't know. Understand. Cause I always think like you look at a cloud, you can be like, Oh, that looks like a dog. Oh. And somebody else looks at the same cloud, yeah. you know, when you like start doing shapes yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And it, yeah. So they scan one corner of the South parking garage and they found, they find three anomalies. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it, but two are parallel and the other one is perp- perpendicular to the other two. The radar can't tell if these were bodies down there, but he said that it was very consistent to what they find at a gravesite location. So apparently he's, Oh, he's a professional. He's yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, but if if you're telling me that you're spending that kind of money and I can't see a body there, it's an anomaly. Yeah. Like, you know what an anomaly is like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It just not enough. Not enough proof to me, but I guess if you're going to compare it to what a gravesite location looks like, then so the only, the only real way to find out whether or not that if these are bodies or not at this location is to dig up the ground and the results aren't conclusive enough for the Springfield police department to justify digging up the concrete, which I think I, I heard that the hospital said it was okay. They can go ahead and do it. Yeah, the hospital. Yeah. The, the hospital cost. told them, yeah, yeah, go, go ahead, dig up whatever you need to. Um, but there's not enough. But again, I don't to- know. I mean, I guess it would depend on how much it cost and, and whatever, but then putting the bill, but again, like maybe look at, you mean to tell me out of the whole parking garage, that one little spot that they tried the first time, like bingo, that's where you got it. Maybe they maybe do. check the other areas around and be like, oh, well, we have some here. Yeah. We have some but here. I, we have some here. But I wonder if that's the part that wasn't completed at the time. Like maybe they went out because I'm going to assume that they didn't just decide, oh, we're just going to look here. I wonder if it's like, OK, you say it might be somewhere around here, but yet yeah, let's look at the timeline. Okay? Yeah. So there have been very few leads over the years that have emerged. Which. Again, it's sad because I feel like it just goes into like a... Can I talk about one that I heard about? Because I wanted to go circle back over to the van. Oh, yeah. So um, when I was listening um, to the podcast, the Ozark mm-hmm. podcast, um, she's had um, tips come in too, and she's trying uh-huh. to help them as well. And um, there was a lead on these two boys, teenage boys. One, I think, I believe they were 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Anywhere, but they were high school age boys. And um, there's a place out in the Ozarks that uh, it was a girls camp. Uh, what is that called? When you're a young girl in that group, Girl, girl Scout. Scouts. <laughs> what is that called? A Girl Scout camp out there in that um, people would go, you know, like play around and yeah. um, mess around at. And they were there one night and um, they're actually really traumatized by it. Like yeah. the way they tell the story. But um, when they were there, they saw 
and heard a van pull up and drag these three girls, blonde haired girls out of the van mm-hmm. and um, that they, I don't, you know what? I can't even remember exactly what they did to them, but, um, and then they threw them back in the van and they took off. Wasn't and that like hiding. at a location where they said that it was something, but it ended up being something else. I wish I had more information, but that was just one story, yeah. you know, that we heard. And I, I mean, I'm really leaning towards Cox, to be honest with yeah. you, um, only because, you know, he says that, you know, he'll only talk after he'll talk after his mom dies. Yeah. And he'll, you know, he'll say more after his mom, after dies. His mom dies. And that, yeah. says, that says a lot about a person. Like oh, he yeah. might have more information or he might just be stringing them along. Like we said. Yeah. Because he likes the attention. He likes the attention. And again, yeah. like he's serving a life sentence. Yeah. So the guy is not what going anywhere. He has nothing to lose at this and point. And he's probably like, you know what? If I tell him that, you know, they'll come back around, you know, yeah. once my mom dies, you know. Yeah. But, um, but the way the these boys tell us they're men now, but the yeah. way that they, they're still so very traumatized by what they saw. So regardless if it was the three girls or not, yeah, that was somebody was, nevertheless. somebody was n- not having a night that they were thinking they were going to have that night. Right. Like, you know, yeah. somebody was abducted. Somebody, if it wasn't not these three girls, it was some it was other somebody. girls that were in trouble and um, the way they describe it and how scared they were. And um, so, I, you know, I wish I had more information because I wish my memory was better than it is. But, um, yeah, it's just, I know sometimes I so feel there's like there's of- like so many cases floating around. Cause like yes. after I write one, then I'm like already starting on another one and I'm like, am I getting them confused? Yeah. And, and I just, I want to, the part that's driving me crazy is I don't remember exactly what, what they witnessed, but it was so traumatizing to them yeah. and they really do believe. I don't that remember they either. The, they but saw the three girls. What I do remember was they said that it was. Oh God, I'm going to have to go back and listen to the podcast now. But they said that this area where they saw these bodies being dumped or whatever. I know. I think they were still alive and they threw them back in the car and they took them. But that, so that That area was known as something. And I don't remember what it was known as, but that's not what it was. Like it ended up after they went back and researched. I mean, which doesn't mean is neither here nor there. Yeah. But that just goes to show you how my brain works that that's what sticks out <laughs> the yeah. story but it, it yeah i don't know that's crazy. okay well anyway that's just kind of what i with the van and everything and how they brought up the yeah. van and then these boys have a story about you know the van and they in at this time they didn't even know about the girls missing or anything you know right so this you know yeah okay i mean it, you know you again you just you don't know just all these different but um tips. so in february of 2019 which is pretty recent Bart Streeter, Cheryl's son and Susie's brother, uh, he was arrested on suspicion of public intoxication, disorderly conduct, and attempted false imprisonment from an unrelated incident in Tennessee. So this guy still hasn't pulled himself together. Yeah, I'm, you know, which is sad because I think the the documentary that I watched was a little older, probably from maybe late '90s, early 2000s, but it was so sad to watch him be interviewed about this because he never mended his relationship with his mom and his sister. And this literally happened within a few months of his sister moving, you know, him and his sister lived 
in that apartment together. And then he came home drunk. They had a little physical altercation and she left. And it was just a few months after that, that they were abducted. And, you know, he never was able to resolve that. It's like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's just, you know, he, he gets very emotional talking about it. And, and he says like, I know, I I knew at the time that, you know, drinking was a problem for me. And I just, that's the life that I chose and I didn't want to change it. And I didn't care who it affected until this, but here we are in 2019 and now he's getting arrested for something else. So, um, so Stacy's mom, Janice, she vows to never give up believing that her daughter could still come home. She said, until I know 100% that Stacy is deceased, I will never declare her dead. Well, I, cause I know that they were saying like, you know, sex trafficking was something that was thrown around too, that right. they were kidnapped in, um, sex traffic. I mean, so, at that point, when you start talking about that stuff, my hope would be that they were dead and that it was quick. If, yeah. Because, you know, just, but, and I um, it, it's, yeah. When you think of all the what ifs, like you could just go on forever and that's just, yeah, that could mess with your mind. Of course. Just that could just make your wheels spin. But, but her mom says until I know 100% that Stacy is deceased, I will never declare her dead. They're going to have to find some remains somewhere before I call her legally dead. It's not for any reason other than if I do and she's not dead, think of how mad she will be when she gets back. Oh, <laughs> I'm just like, um, she also said in this interview, um, which really like put things into perspective. She said now at this point, uh, like I said, like this interview wasn't too, too recent, but at the time of this interview, she had been gone for 18 years and she said she's been gone longer than I had her. I just recently realized that she's been gone longer than I had her. And for her to be gone more than 18 years is heartbreaking. It's so sad. Yeah. And, you know, but again, I think that it's hard um, to make that decision to like, with no body to declare her dead. You know, we talked about like in the Natalie Holloway case that took how many years before, you know, it took like seven or eight years before. Yeah. Seven years, 2012 or something before 2005. So, so it's, you know, it's hard. I can't imagine, you know, having to make a, a decision like that, but, but to think that she's been gone longer than she was here. Yeah. And, you just have to go on with your day-to-day life with no answers. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's awful. Um, but in June of 1997, they had a bench that was dedicated um, to the three, to the three women. And it's, it's it says that it's at victims Memorial garden in Springfield Phelps Grove park. So I'm not sure um, if there's like a Memorial garden with other things there or if that's what that garden is called for and them it's just, it's just yeah. them but um apparently there there is a bench there that was dedicated to them and we've seen that in some of our other cases too yeah. the jennifer Ertman case i think 
um, her girls that were in, found in the park. Yeah, yeah. Um, they did that, and then too. they also did the ones at the for the um, killing fields. Yeah, we had the benches, and out even there too. the one here, that little uh, Trinity Love Jones, the yes. one that's that's here. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. I think it it can't. Not that. I mean, losing a child is one thing. But to not have answers and know where they're at, what happened to them, to have no questions answered. Yeah. And I to have just, all these tips come in. And some of them are kind of cool. Like one's like, oh, we saw her working in a um, in a deli or in a like mm-hmm. a restaurant. You know, she was a waitress. She waited on me and things like that. You know, yeah, just it because really someone, sucks. There's somebody people, wants money. Yeah. There's people that look like other people that are very similar yeah. looking. I know that some are trying to help, but it's like... Yeah, and I, just, I I feel like as soon as you put up like a reward, like a a money, you know, like a cash reward, people are going to be all over it, you know. Yeah. And it it's just it's really shitty to know that they're putting these what the what they're doing to these families. It's just it's so it's so sad. So, yeah. um, but yeah, if you guys want um to read more, listen to more, see more, whatever. Um, the book is called gone in the night, the Springfield three and the podcast is called the Ozarks and it's a very good podcast. It is. She's got interviews. She's talking to people. It's a really thorough podcast. It's a six part podcast all on this case. Um, and thank you very much to the listener who requested this. And I'm again, I apologize deeply for not not remembering your name but um we'll put it in the credits yeah but please um if you again have any cases that you want us to talk about or research or you know look up or whatever um we would love to do that so please comment um below um you could dm us you can email us at 50 states of madness at gmail.com um we've gotten some listeners that have reached out to us um that we've talked to and we we really enjoy doing that so um if you would like to follow us we are on instagram and tiktok at 50 states of madness and our merch links are there yes. and we'll link those here too uh thank you to our patreons if you would like to support us on patreon we are at patreon.com slash 50 states of madness and I don't know. I don't think I have anything else to say. Have a safe week. Yeah. Have fun. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye.